At the time you're listening to this, Oklahoma and Alabama meeting in the Orange Bowl for a spot in this year's national championship game is a mere eight days away. And I think people are starting to shake the rust off from the bull by and starting to get excited for this potential epic matchup. And still, I realize what day it was this past Wednesday. National Signing Day treated the Sooners very well this year, with some big recruiting wins and some interesting surprises as well. So I understand that a lot of you are going to want us to discuss that tonight. Lee and I have said numerous times that this isn't a recruiting show. We're very transparent about the fact that we honestly just don't know much about evaluating high school players. We prefer to stay in our lane and leave the in-depth recruiting talk to the experts I'm sure a lot of you follow as well. However, you don't need to be an expert to see that Lincoln Riley has taken Oklahoma's recruiting game to a completely different level. He just pulled in a likely top five class when it's all said and done, without a defensive coordinator and the likelihood of a significant defensive staff overhaul. How do you do that? It's clear that Riley has been effective at selling a vision for the program. They believe in where the program is going, and they believe in him. This is a great development for a program that is in dire need of some cultural tweaks on a particular side of the ball. Changing a culture doesn't happen overnight. It takes commitment and hard work from the coaching staff. And most importantly, it requires the players to buy in. That doesn't start the moment you step foot on campus. That starts the moment Lincoln Riley steps foot in your living room. In a few weeks, Riley will be putting the finishing touches on his second consecutive top 10 recruiting class as a head coach. These kids believe in the direction of the program, and that's because of the team's head coach. Riley has been very adamant in the lead-up to the playoff that his team is focused on winning a national championship. Anything less, according to the head coach, would be a betrayal to his seniors and the guys who have fought their butts off over the course of the season. Now, OU is a huge underdog next weekend, and rightfully so. There's not a whole lot of people giving these guys a chance. But Lincoln Riley sure believes his team has a chance. And man, he's starting to make me believe too. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Six times OU has had to punt this evening. Here they come right up the middle. And they're going to throw a pass and it's complete at the 30-yard line. 40, 45 to the 50. Michael Thompson. And how about that gamble by Coach Stoops? Oklahoma going to go for it all, heading for the end zone, and it is caught at the five and touchdown Brandon Jones. 47 yards in the pass play. You made the point last week. Great teams come back with a retort, and they came back very quickly. One of the more memorable sequences of the Bob Stoops era. Back on September the 6th, 2003, the Sooners led Alabama 13-10 in the third quarter, but it looked like the Crimson Tide was about to seize momentum. Facing a 4th and 11 from their own territory, Stoops called a fake punt. Blake Ferguson swung it out to Michael Thompson, who picked up 22 yards and the first down. One play later, Jason White hit Brandon Jones for a 47-yard touchdown. OU won the game 20-13. Hey everyone, I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. We'll bring him back in a second to talk some Oklahoma football. But first up, I'd like to encourage all of you out there who are new to the show, lift up your phone, 
because I bet that's what you're using this to listen to the podcast, scroll down a little bit and leave us a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, feel free to leave us a review. The football season's about over. Hopefully the Sooners have not one, but two more games remaining before they call it quits. But let's be honest, this time of the year is great for talking Sooner football, and we'd like to get in as many of you hooked, we'd like to get as many of you hooked onto the podcast before this uh, long, dark offseason all hits us. Also, like the West of Evers Facebook page to stay up to date with the show, and also you can interact with us on the Facebook page, and you can do the same by following Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25, and you can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at LeeBensonNews9, the number nine. Finally, you can email the show westofeverest at gmail.com. Apologies to those who have been emailing the show in the last couple of weeks. I have not done a good job of keeping up to date with the show email. I'll have to check that here tonight or tomorrow, whatever I remember. All right, so whatever. Uh, okay, so Grant, uh, we went super in-depth on that uh, Bama A&M game on the last podcast, and we also had some thoughts on Bama's game against Ole Miss from earlier this season. Since last episode, I've watched Alabama's games against Missouri, Mississippi State, and LSU. Full disclosure, I did not take as many thorough notes on the Mississippi State and LSU games because of two reasons. Number one, it was useless to try and learn anything about Alabama's defense watching Mississippi State and LSU because those offenses couldn't seriously threaten Alabama down the field. And the second reason was, well, there's only so many hours in a day and you and I don't get paid for this, so I hope all everyone out there understands. That's simply the other reason why I just didn't put as much time into all the note-taking for those other games. So, uh, Grant, curious, which games have you seen since our last podcast? Those three. Okay, so uh, we're on the same page yet again, so that's good. The last game that I'm waiting for before kind of our, our last preview podcast, obviously, is the SEC title game. And so that's kind of a tease ahead to, you know, this this podcast will be our thoughts of what we've seen up to to that point up before Alabama plays Georgia. So here's the format that I want to use today as we discuss the upcoming Orange Bowl game. We've both now watched a pretty good amount of Alabama tape. So I'd like to think that we have a pretty good idea of what the Tide does well, which in my opinion is a lot, and things the Tide does not do well, which is not much. So let's go through Bama's offense and Bama's defense and maybe even a little special teams if anything jumps out at you and explain what we've seen and also provide our thoughts on how Oklahoma matches up. And by the way, after we do this Alabama OU talk, we'll do a little bit of signing day talk. And I know Grant has more thoughts on that than I do and then anything else that comes to mind later in the show, time permitting. So just a quick tease ahead to that. So what we'll continue with this Oklahoma-Alabama, our thoughts on what we've seen since the last podcast. Let's begin with Oklahoma's strength, which obviously is the Sooners' offense. Last season before Oklahoma played Georgia in the Rose Bowl, I made a point to go back and look at every Georgia game where the Dogs faced upper-level offenses. And to be honest, it was difficult to find any offense that was anywhere near the level of Oklahoma from 2017. Naturally, in the lead-up to Oklahoma-Alabama, I wanted to go back and watch all the games where the Crimson Tide played upper-level offenses. So far, the only offenses that look anything like Oklahoma are Ole Miss and Missouri. Now, keep in mind, 
Again, I have not rewatched the SEC championship game against Georgia closely yet. I mean, I, I did watch the game and I actually went back and watched it after the first watch, just kind of just to make sure I saw the whole entire fourth quarter. But I still got to do a thorough rewatch. And again, that's the last one I got to watch for our final preview. Um, so I, Ole Miss and Missouri, Grant, I'm curious. Do you see any offenses that Alabama has faced in your Alabama film watching that compare to OU? Well, I mean, no, not from ability whatsoever. Um, certainly personnel groupings and some formations. We can maybe gleam a little bit. Um, for instance, that's, I mean, that, that's the reason why I went back and watched more of the Ole Miss game than you did. I was just curious, uh, you know, kind of how Alabama would defend them in that game. And, and they came out kind of exactly how I anticipated. They're, they, and this is how they're going to defend OU as well. They're going to be a nickel pretty much the entire game. Um, so I, I think really that that's that's mostly what I took from those games. Um, I it was the Missouri game, Lee. I probably watched the closest out of all of those, so I probably have more thoughts on that one. And and you're right. Um, it's 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 striking just how how ill-equipped Mississippi State and LSU were uh, for moving the ball against Alabama. They just weren't capable of doing so with the personnel that they have. You could tell at the start of the game for LSU that they had some ideas of what they wanted to do against Alabama's defense, but it was a game plan that just wasn't sustainable through 60 minutes of football once Alabama had seen a few possessions of LSU. And obviously the Tigers just didn't – they don't have the explosive players on offense and the explosive offense in general to really threaten Alabama in that game. So there was really no chance after those first few series – for LSU to get anything going from what I saw in that game but back to Missouri and Ole Miss I just I got some notes on you know how they compared to Oklahoma and obviously Oklahoma's offense is is way better than those two offenses but just philosophy and things like that so here's uh, my notes on that Missouri likes to use a lot of 11 personnel which to be fair is something a lot of football teams like to do not just in college but in the NFL as well and uh, you know admittedly that's not that groundbreaking of a takeaway Oklahoma essentially likes to use a lot of 11 personnel and Carson Meyer acts as the tight end in that personnel grouping for the most part. Alabama also a team that uses a lot of 11 personnel with Irv Smith at tight end and then also Hale Hinches at tight end. So it just depends on what the tight is trying to do. So 11 personnel is something that you see quite a bit. So I suppose the better piece of evidence that I can bring to the table that compares Missouri's offense to Oklahoma's offense is that in the game against Alabama. And Grant, I'll be curious to see if you notice this too. It looked to me like Missouri was desperately trying to run the football. They wanted to establish the run game. And this is significant to me because the Tigers' offensive line is supposedly pretty good, and we're coming into the 2018 season with a decent amount of experience. And at least one publication I read when I was doing some research considered Missouri's offensive line to be one of the best offensive lines in the SEC a year ago in 2017. So... For one quarter, Missouri's offensive line held up okay against Alabama from what I saw. But after that, I started to see some breakdowns in pass protection. And just like every other Alabama game I've watched this year, the Tides started to get pressure with just four rushers. So I'll pause right now, Grant, and let you jump in. Is that what you saw from Missouri? Did you get the sense that they really were trying to run the football against Alabama oh, yeah. and establish that run with that offensive line? Yeah, especially in the first quarter. Um, they were trying. I mean, they were trying to do it in a lot of different ways too. They were trying to go off tackle. They were trying to go in between the tackles. They were pulling the tackle and the guard every now and then too. 
Um, did you notice, Lee, every single time it, it felt like they pulled a tackle and a guard, they just got absolutely destroyed? Because it, it, it sort of gave their interior linemen a, a free run at the running back, and they just attacked every single time that happened. At least that's, that's something I noticed. It wasn't every time. Actually, the first play of the game, they did the, the, the GT counter play and picked up seven yards. And then the very next play of the game was when Drew Locke threw a horrible pick. And, uh, I, but yeah, I, I did notice a couple times, yeah, when they pulled those guys, it just gives those interior linemen a free rush and they were expecting it and they would come down the line and just blow up the back in the backfield. Sure. But, and, and also this is something you have to keep in mind too. Missouri wasn't running anything else off of that though. It was just a straight run every single time they did that. At least that's what I saw. I, I didn't see them run any play auction, play action off that look at all. So if anyone's thinking, oh, well, that doesn't sound good for OU running the ball if they're if they're kind of blowing it up every single time they're pulling a tackle and a guard. Uh, OU kind of pulls a tackle and a guard on on like more than half of their plays. So it's not always a cinch that they're running the ball. That's that's what we say, Lincoln Riley melts your keys. It's not going to be quite as simple for Alabama just to sell out against the run against Oklahoma and the Orange Bowl. Continuing thoughts on Missouri's offense and what they were trying to do. Throw in the fact that Drew Locke is the closest thing to a human statue that I've ever seen. And uh, you know he was a sitting duck for Alabama's front four when they were getting to him in two to three seconds every time. I'd say Locke's ability at quarterback is not comparable at all to Oklahoma because Kyler Murray is obviously much more mobile. Everyone knows that. And frankly, Murray is a much better throw over the football than Drew Locke. Locke just has never impressed me much at all. And uh, in that game, I will say he did make one really big-time throw against Alabama for a touchdown. Uh, And he also dropped a nice third down and long dime between the corner and the safety uh, for a first down. It was a great throw, and it was an even better catch, actually, by the wide receiver. But aside from those throws in that game, he was incredibly inconsistent against Alabama. I I mentioned that second play from scrimmage where he threw what should have been a back shoulder throw. he threw the ball to the inside of the field, which ended up being an easy pick for Savian It's one of the Smith. worst throws I've seen in the college football season. I mean, just it was hideous. Great, great coverage by Smith, but a back shoulder throw would have beaten the coverage. He threw it exactly to where Savian Smith was, covering him on the inside, and he turned around and was like, oh, thanks for the free interception. And that set up a Bama field goal. The next drive, Locke had a wide-open guy on a crossing route on second and nine near midfield, and at the very worst, it would have set up a, a third and very short, but Locke just threw it into the ground and behind the receiver, and Missouri would have to punt on that drive. And later in the first half, I'm going to keep going, he made a terrible read on a third down play where he had his running back wide open on a Texas route that would have gone for an explosive play, probably minimum 30 yards down the field. But he locked onto the wrong crossing route and threw it to a guy who was covered by two Alabama defenders incomplete, and they had to punt. So Drew Locke is just is just not a very impressive player. I was shocked when he came out and lit up Florida because Florida's got a pretty competent defense. That's Drew Locke's best game of his life. But against real defenses or competent defenses, he's normally struggled, and he struggled well, mightily against Alabama. Yeah, let's like let's just be totally honest about Drew Locke. I mean, he's... He he's getting kind of first round love because he 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 does have you know sort of a rocket of an arm and he's a big guy. He's a big dude. He's a big yeah. dude. But let's let's say what it is. He's he's really awful in the pocket and he's at he's at best incredibly inconsistent with his accuracy. He is just not an accurate thrower of the football whatsoever. In fact, I I don't I don't know what they're doing at Missouri, but I guess they just breed guys like this. I mean, he is he's about as close to um uh 
Oh, geez. Now, of course, the guy's name is is escaping me. Who is the first-round quarterback from Missouri a decade ago? Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert. They are literally the same player. Oh, same, no, no. Sa- I think, same college I think Gabbert. I thought, as, as far as a college player, I, thought, I think Gabbert's much better. That's for Gabbert, a college yeah. player. Yeah. Well, yeah. Drew Locke is really awful when he goes against a competent defense. And I'd say... I, I, uh, you know who Drew Locke reminds me of? And he sort of rips up all the all the crappy teams he plays, oh, just like yeah. Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> a, a guy that Drew Locke reminds me of, and I don't I'd say this other guy has more talent, but it doesn't matter because he never really utilized it much. Drew Locke reminds me of Jay Cutler a lot. Uh, tons of uh Jay arm Cutler talent. is like is considerably more talented than than Drew Locke. Jay Cutler could but thing move. Is, but Jay Cutler never... But Jay Cutler, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Jay Cutler had, certainly was a lot more mobile. But Jay Cutler never put it together. He never cared enough to really do anything. And he had a nice NFL career as far as years go. And I'm sure he made a lot of money. But Drew Locke comes off to me as somebody who's actually got a lot of talent. But, yeah, I mean, it shows up in those big games. And he doesn't seem to really deliver. But, anyways, this isn't a Drew Locke rip podcast. I just We're trying to, to paint a picture of, like, okay, who were the quarterbacks Alabama's faced? In that offense, Drew Locke was not mobile at all, so there wasn't any sort of threat to Alabama's defense that Drew Locke was going to pull it down and run. So therefore, I was, it was probably a lot easier for them to, to cover in the pass game because they don't have to worry about that extra guy, the quarterback, running. Uh, real quick, as far as Ole Miss goes, you watched more Ole Miss than I did. The reason I brought them up is just statistically, Ole Miss had an elite offense this year on a yards-per-play basis. And also the Rebels, from what I saw, tried to spread Bama out quite a bit in the first half of that game. But I just I noticed turnovers in that Ole Miss game. And, and by the time Ole Miss you could look up, really, and there was a quarter into the game or two quarters into the game, the Rebels are already down by four and five touchdowns. At that point, the game's over. So yeah, really that game was – and, and also that game, I mean, that was, that was a game in which Ole Miss just for the – for anything could not block Alabama up front they just could not okay. whatsoever I mean it wasn't even uh Jordan Tom who, who is who himself is not a very good quarterback he he is he also really really struggles with accuracy on a consistent basis I mean he, he had he had two seconds tops to throw the ball every single time he was just getting destroyed and when when Alabama secondary can play such tight man coverage like that I mean that's just that that's a recipe yep. for disaster for Ole Miss at least that's what I saw in that game well, that's a good transition to our next topic because we're going to go match it by matchup and we're going to stick with the Oklahoma offense. Let's start up front. The Oklahoma offensive line against that Alabama defensive line slash front seven. I got some notes on this, Grant. I'm sure you do too. Uh, I'll let you jump in if, if you want to start. I mean, break down this matchup for me based on what you've seen so far from Alabama film and obviously we've seen all of Oklahoma this year. What stands out to you? I mean, just look at Alabama's defensive line. They're mo- just monsters, every single one of them. Massive, veed out, just completely ripped. All of them, they look like they look like Olympic athletes. They're huge. I mean, they're they're intimidating. They're, there's really no bones to be made about it. Uh, Quinn Williams, yeah. Quinn Williams, best defensive lineman I've seen in college football this season. The guy makes a lot of freaking plays. My God, he makes a lot of plays. Um, and it just seems like you know, just the ancillary figures, just show flashes of utter brilliance as well talking about isaiah bugs um he, just that guy is that guy is like a, a human tree trunk um <laughs> that's a good uh raekwon good, i like raekwon davis who is who's one of their defensive ends i mean oh that my guy, gosh that that guy is just a monster of a human being um six seven three sixteen yeah i mean this they're, they're uh, physically up front they're I, I don't know if i've ever seen a defensive line as as physically impressive as as they are 
That doesn't mean, hey, I mean, this is, uh, that's not to say they're, they're the best in the country. They're probably not even the best defensive line in the country. That goes to Clemson in all likelihood. Uh, but this, I mean, they're insanely good up front. And that's, that's absolutely the, the strength of their defense. So um, it's going to be good on good. And, you know, this, this absolutely, this Oklahoma offensive line is, is far and away, in my opinion, the best in college football. And um, I, I cannot wait to see, and I don't know how often this matchup is going to occur in the game, Lee. I cannot wait to see Cody Ford against Raekwon Davis. And, and, and hmm. vice versa, I, I, I think it's going to be fun to watch, you know, Ben Powers and Creed Humphrey against, against Quinn and Williams on the inside as well. Um, just it's it's going to be so interesting. I I can't wait to watch that because you, know, you it's of my opinion and you know a lot of people who who vote on all American teams obviously uh, disagreed. I thought Cody Ford was the best, most dominant offensive lineman in college football this year. He should have been a unanimous All American. Um, and people are going to see that when he's when he goes in the first round of the draft this next year. Maybe you know call him the shot right now. He might be a top ten pick. Um, it's just I mm-hmm. it's it's going to be. So- there's going to be so in the trenches in this game when Oklahoma is the ball and Alabama is on defense. It's going to be just NFL players running into each other. It's going to be insane to watch. I can't wait to watch this matchup. And this is the most important matchup of the game, as far as I can tell. And that's why I wanted to start with this. Uh, you know, Bama consistently is able to get pressure with those four guys, and the four guys that you're going to see usually rushing the passer. The aforementioned Quinnen Williams, the aforementioned Raquan Davis, the aforementioned Isaiah Bugs, and their Jack linebacker, usually Anthony Jennings, and sometimes Christian Miller, number 47. Are Christian guys Miller looks passer. very good in his uniform. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, most of them do. They're all That's, really that good. That is true. I mean, it's like those classic Alabama uniforms. It's kind of, you got to be a, a real dweeb to not look good in those bad boys. So, all those players I just mentioned, they're awesome. And it's annoying to watch them on tape because every single pass play, at least one of those players seem to make some sort of move to get by their blocker and put pressure on the quarterback in the first two to three seconds. And sometimes it's not even a move. It's just straight power, just bull rushing their blocker, running them over and using strength on strength to get by them and put that's pressure not, on the quarterback. I don't, that's not going to fly against this OU offensive line, I don't think. I hope not. not. Nah, that's not going to fly. Yeah, I'd, I'd hope not. I'd hope not. It's just so – the thing is – they're able to do both, though. So if it's like you know, if Oklahoma is like, yeah, you're not going to be able to push us around. OK, then they're going to be bracing for that power. And then what if there's a nice little swim move and they're not ready? For, so, you know, that's the thing. It's just this is going to be the biggest test. Obviously, they've faced all season. Yeah, so. I, I'm, it's, it's going to be so interesting, too, because if they get too aggressive, you know, it's going to be in the back of their mind. We can't let Kyler Murray escape. So if they get out of their gap at least once, they might be screwed. So I, I'm really curious to see if they just go balls to the wall after Murray, or if they're going to try to keep more of a contain look. Uh, if, if you yeah. remember, that's that's really what Georgia did last year against Baker Mayfield. They they did a really good job of containing the pocket so he couldn't escape. Um, that's going to be a whole hell of a lot harder against Kyler Murray. So um, mm-hmm. I, I just yeah, I mean you're right. This is absolutely the matchup of the game because if OU wins this matchup, presumably Lee, they're going to have a lot of success on offense. Here's the thing, though, Grant. Oklahoma has not seen a defensive line this good and a front seven this good all season long, and not even close, to be frank with you. Yeah, no, not even close. And on the flip side, Alabama, they have faced, I guess, a decent to good Missouri offensive line from what I've read, and Georgia's offensive line is definitely elite considering it was a Joe Moore Award finalist. Obviously, the Sooners are the best offensive line in the country. Speaking of the Joe Moore Award, Oklahoma just won it. And 
I'm very curious to watch this Georgia game against Alabama to see how that elite offensive line handled the Crimson Tide. You know, perhaps that'll give me more clues on how this Oklahoma offensive line will fare against Bama. But as of right now, I got to tell you, I'm very concerned about this matchup, even with all of the incredible talent by Oklahoma up front. From what I've gathered about Nick Saban's defensive philosophy, one of his tenets is to first stop the run. He wants to make sure you cannot run the football because Saban believes that if a team runs the ball against his defense, that Alabama's going to lose. And we saw Oklahoma struggle running the ball against Texas in the Big 12 title game. It was the first time in many contests where the Sooners' offensive line didn't dominate in the running game. And I know Texas had a bit of an advantage considering it was the second time the Longhorns had seen the Sooners this year. But Alabama's front seven is much better than Texas's front seven. And without Rodney Anderson, it's difficult for me to imagine Oklahoma having a ton of success on the ground in this one from what I've seen so far. Grant, what do you think? I don't know. I've been going back and forth on this one. Lee, this is... I, I think we may in this in this sort of realm, especially in the running game, and I know like I've I've gone back and forth to some people on Twitter about this as well. We might be putting Alabama a little bit on a pedestal with this. Lee, this is this OU team. I mean, and I know this is still statistically probably the best running team in the country. OU, um, that's got to count for something. I I, I still think OU is going to be able to get theirs on the ground in this game. They're just. I, I hope so, because I, I and I know, and and I I think I think you're going to see a lot more of Kyler Murray running incorporated into this, um, but I I think in this game you're probably going to see more of a of you know spread them out, um, and throw to set up the run rather than vice versa, just to kind of maybe get to soften Alabama up a little bit, but I just you know. Missouri really did try to run the ball, and you know they weren't always successfully, but at times they were they were able to rip off some chunk plays. And, you know, some plays that I there think... There was Oklahoma, one... They, they had one nice chunk play in the running game. I think they yeah, had like a 20-plus yard you know, gain. Every now and then, they were still able to squirt through past the defensive line for five or seven. I mean, they yeah. they weren't they weren't terrible. They weren't they weren't getting absolutely stoned in the run game, I, I thought, while watching that. Um, they weren't great, um, but th- there, was, there was a little bit of something there. So I just... I, I think, of course, this Alabama defensive line is great. It, it, it's, it's just very good. But I... This is OU, man. This is Bill Biedenboe's offensive line. These guys can run the ball, and of course I'd rather have Rodney Anderson, but I think they can run the ball, and I'm not saying they're going to be extremely effective running it, but I, I'm just I, I'm not willing to just totally give up the run because it's, no, you're the best offense in the country, maybe the best running offense in the country. Run the ball. I think, I think it's going to be there. Well, here's a bit of a tease. Before I started recording this, I had the uh, the FSOK, Fox Sports Oklahoma channel on at work, and... Um, they were playing some, I guess one of the, the Oklahoma shows, they were doing film study, and they were showing Bama, Georgia. So I kind of looked up a couple times and see what plays they were picking from Bama, Georgia. And I was curious to watch when Georgia had the football. And granted, this, again, this wasn't the full game. This is just a couple plays they picked out. But it looked to me like the plays I was watching when Georgia had the ball and Georgia was running the ball, they were actually that, that elite Georgia offensive line that Oklahoma presumably is better than, considering Oklahoma just won the Joe Moore Award. That offensive line was getting a pretty good push and and running the ball decently well in those yes. plays I was watching from Georgia. Yes. I, and my, Georgia isn't a team, and Georgia's offense is good. Obviously, it's an upper-level offense, but it's not even it's not as explosive as Oklahoma's offense. So that just those brief plays I was watching, I was thinking, oh, you know what, maybe I'm actually even more excited to go back and rewatch this Georgia-Alabama game more closely now after seeing that. Yeah, and you know what, Lee, and I haven't gone back and watched it. I've still only watched it live the, the, the one time. 
But if, unless my eyes deceived me, Lee, Georgia's offensive line got the better of Alabama's front for a majority of that game. And Oklahoma is better than Georgia up front, period. So, And, and that doesn't mean anything. That does not mean that this is going to go Oklahoma's way. I'm just saying the blueprint is potentially there. This Alabama defensive line, it, it is possible to win more battles than you lose against them because I think Georgia did it. And Georgia's not as good as Oklahoma. They're not as talented as Oklahoma up front. Not as athletic as Oklahoma up front. Um, I, I really do think Lee, this, this is probably going to be the, this, definitely the first time that Alabama's defensive front is going to be matched um, athlete for athlete up front because OU by far has the most athletic offensive line in college football. All right, next matchup with Oklahoma having the football, Kyler Murray and the Oklahoma wide receiving core versus that Alabama secondary. This matchup, I think, is an extension of the previous matchup in the trenches. I'd like to see the Bama secondary when they're tasked to cover for more than three seconds. It just doesn't ever happen. And, okay, let me check that. It, it does happen, but only when Alabama wants it to happen, seemingly. Like when it's third and long and Bama decides to drop eight and only rush three, which is actually the scenario that led to Drew Locke's only touchdown pass against Alabama. He actually had plenty of time to throw. Missouri's offensive line prevented those three dudes from Bama from getting there, and that was a great play by Drew Locke. Maybe when I watch the SEC title game a little more closely, again, I know I keep teasing this SEC title game, so I think this, our thoughts on the Georgia-Bama game will be a nice, a nice thing for our, our listeners to kind of look forward to. And our, you know, we'll have one more podcast, definitely, for sure. We might have two more before the game. We'll see. Uh, but anyways, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching the SEC title game more closely to see if Georgia's offensive line is giving Jake Fromm some time to throw which then forces Bama's defensive backs to play coverage longer. I guess we'll see. But so far, no offense that I've watched closely has been able to stretch Alabama down the field. And mostly that's because I think the quarterback just never has enough time for those deeper routes to develop. What have you seen, Grant? Yeah, this is actually... So you said, you know, the the D-line versus the O-line is is your, you know, the matchup that you're most concerned about. This is the matchup I am most concerned about. Um especially without a 100% Marquise Brown, um, which we have, you know, we have not heard anything on yet. So, um, Lee, C.D. Lamb is going to have to play the best game of his career, I think, in this game for them to win. He's going to have to make some catches in traffic. He's going to have to make some NFL catches in this game. Um, I, I think that's just the reality of the situation. If OU is going to win, um, like, I, like I keep saying, their pros are going to have to make NFL plays at times. Um, what, that's how you beat Alabama. If you go back to the national championship game a couple years ago with Clemson and Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams, Mike Williams just Mike Williams and Deshaun Watson just kind of jump balled Alabama to death in that game. And you know, I, I don't I don't really know if OU has any wide receivers who are really capable of that. Um, they do have a quarterback capable of making NFL throws, and they do have you know C.D. Lamb as well. So. Um, they're going to have to just make some incredible plays in this game. Um, I think that's pretty that's pretty clear. Lee, I, I want to ask you something just just based off of I, I, all the games I've watched, and it's, this is this is especially the Missouri game. Did they run any freaking routes over the middle of the field in that game? A couple of plays, like I mentioned earlier, when Drew yeah. Locke kind of like missed he missed that guy that crossing route over the field uh, yeah. across and the so, field where he probably would have got the first down. At worst, he would have been tackled short of the first down by like a yard. And then that one where he he locked onto the wrong receiver, he made the wrong read, and the other player that he should have locked onto, the running back, was wide open because there was a busted assignment by Alabama. and He would have had a huge play, but yeah, I, th- 
And the and, thing, the problem is, there's not enough. There's not enough time for these routes to develop. It would seem like whenever, especially in that sure. Missouri game. Sure. And so here's here's what I'm getting at here. I, I you know I've I've watched I've I've watched quite a bit of Alabama this year, just you know live as well, and I've gone back and watched five games now. Here's the thing that I, I have not seen a team try really yet, except for Texas A&M to some varying success. No one is, is no one's been able to attack them over the middle of the field, and really, Lee, no one's even tried. Um, and so if 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 I'm going to point to one thing where OU might have an advantage here, I think it's Grant Calcaterra, Carson Meyer, and Lee Morris over the middle. Lee and I think I I just I, I kind of have a feeling that Alabama might get a dose of Big Twelve football in this game. I think I think OU is going to expose Mac Wilson in this game in coverage, and they're going to go back to it over and over and over again and pick at it like a scab. I I I, I think that's the opening right there. Mac Wilson against Grant Calcaterra, Carson Meyer, Lee Morris is a mismatch in OU's favor. Yeah, I I see what you mean, and you could be 100% correct. Uh, I was trying to – I have some notes, and I'll probably go over this more maybe on our later podcast when we have more more time to really go in depth. But I there was a couple times where Missouri – actually, I say couple, one time really, where I like what Missouri was doing – and I think we're going to see this a lot from Oklahoma, where Missouri would go 10 personnel, run, running back, no tight end. Actually, they would do it with 11 personnel because their big tight end was one of their best players. And they'd split them out. They'd go a three-by-one formation, and they'd they split their trips guys to the field side wide and all the way outside the hash to where it spread out the entire Alabama defense. And that way it was forcing, even though they were nickel, they were forcing one of their linebackers, their Sam linebacker, or their will linebacker, whoever was still on the field, to go out and play in space. And I thought, you know, I kind of like this because then what that did was it made Mac Wilson be in the middle and it was basically a five-man box. And it's because Alabama was spread so so thin because of the formation. And I was thinking, I kind of like this, spreading out Alabama's defense because now they don't have as – they have plenty of space to have to cover. And what Missouri did on that play was I believe they ran the football because it was a five-man box. I'm like, hey, we got five offensive linemen. Let's go five on five. And one of the safeties, Thompson, came in to help out, so it was then six on five. But Missouri still got a decent gain on the play. And they didn't do that as much as I thought they should have. They didn't spread out Bama's defense a whole lot. So the reason I bring that up is that in that scenario, the middle of the field would have been a great place to try to – try to throw something the the downside though is that you have that that robber safety that Nick Saban likes to play a lot they like to play a lot of one robber where they have they show you a two a two high safety look but at the snap they'll kind of move their safety to a single high and they'll have that other safety come in as in run support or as a robber to kind of read the the quarterback's eyes and make a play over the middle and that may be why there's not a whole lot of action over the middle because it seems like Alabama is able to to bring that safety in there and disrupt some things and I you know I wish I had a better answer for it but I, I do like the idea of spreading out Alabama and and giving yourself maybe only a five-man box to run the ball into yeah I don't hate that idea um I wish I wish the receiver or I wish the running backs for Oklahoma in this game were kind of more adept receivers um like for instance I this is a this is a game where <laughs> where they really need Rodney Anderson and like a DeMarco Murray type who could also split out wide and be a receiver. So they could seamlessly go to to five wide with also a running back, I think would be great in this game. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't really think they're going to have the option to do that in this game. So um, right. we'll see. Yeah, I, I also like the idea of spreading out Bama because how, how often are they spread out? 
How often Very, do they have to? Not how often much. do they have to? Yeah, not a lot. How often do they play teams good enough to get the ball consistently to little water bugs in space who can, you know, and then force them to make tackles in space? Um, it doesn't yeah, happen a which lot. It doesn't make any sense because, I mean, the SEC, as we're seeing every year, they get all these great recruiting classes. All these teams have all these great players, but the, offenses is, the offensive philosophy is just lagging behind in the SEC. I know this is like a whole other situation but yeah I, I it, it's crazy like and you watch these games and you watch these teams with these offenses and it just nobody seems to be able to really figure it out I mean I, apparently Georgia did I mean Georgia had Alabama on the ropes so again hate to sound like a broken record but can't wait to watch that one back more close to see what Georgia did Grant how significant is it that Oklahoma has not faced a defense this season anywhere near as good as Alabama's defense I mean you would think it's pretty significant right um, but I guess, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It depends on, we, we, we got to wait and see. Um, hmm, okay. Alabama yeah. hasn't, hasn't faced anywhere close to Oklahoma's offense this year. Like not even in the same stratosphere. So, um, I, I think well, that, you know, that's got to go for it as what well. What about Georgia? So, I, I said, not even in the same stratosphere. <laughs> and jo- Georgia's got some, got some really good, you know, NFL players on their offense. Um, from what they do from a schematic uh, standpoint, Lee, it's kindergarten compared to OU. Um, I, I remember even being in the Rose Bowl last year, t- chatting with Georgia fans, and they were and they were saying, "Yeah, our offensive coordinator actually kind of sucks." And I've actually, um, this just we're just so much better than everyone this year that it didn't really matter. Um, and you know, going online and stuff like that, Georgia doesn't like their offensive coordinator. Um, they just got a lot of really good players. So hmm. I, I just, I don't know. I, th- well, I, I, I think yeah. that I I think it's troubling. I, I really do because. A huge, a huge reason why I was so confident in Oklahoma's offense going up against Georgia in the Rose Bowl last year was because we had already seen the Sooners play really well against elite defenses like Ohio State, TCU, and Texas. On the flip side, Georgia's elite defense had definitely not seen any offenses as explosive as Oklahoma, and I think it showed in the first 30 minutes of that game. This year, Oklahoma's offense hasn't had that one big-time defensive test like Ohio State in 2017. You know, the best defense the Sooners has seen was at Iowa State back in September and then a couple of times against Texas. And the Longhorns defense was this year was nowhere near as good as it was in 2017. So this whole thing makes me incredibly worried about this game. I know Kyler Murray has been mostly unflappable, but we have seen moments of shakiness for Kyler Murray. Think back Texas Tech, the first two series of that game. He threw... Uh, he threw some bad picks in the first two series. Early on in the first Texas game, he threw a bad pick. And, you know, I want to say there was one or two more sequences this season where Kyler did not look himself, maybe look as shaky. Maybe I'm imagining those. But the point is, if he was shaky against Texas Tech, and I think it's reasonable to assume that if something weird happens to him or the offense early in this game, he might get a little rattled. And I'm confident that Murray can come back from being rattled, but. The concern in this game is that a couple of bad drives by Oklahoma early on could effectively knock them out of this game because it's just not believable to assume Oklahoma's defense is going to put up much resistance. That's why I'm worried about the the fact that Oklahoma just has not seen a defense like Alabama's this year. Sure, you know I I, I let's you know I, I I I still don't think this is like Alabama is nowhere near as good Lee as Georgia was at linebacker last year, like not even remotely close. And I, I, that's what I keep circling to. J- Alabama's linebackers are good. I'm not saying they're not good. They're just, they can be had. They have not been challenged at all this season. 
they really can be had. I, I, I really think OU's biggest, their biggest hope in this game is, I think they're going to be able to confuse Alabama sometimes on defense. They really will. They're going to melt their keys. They just have not seen anything remotely like this. Right. That is just as significant as OU not seeing a defense like Alabama's. It's just, it's just as significant. And you also have to account for Kyler Murray. Lee, I, OU's going to score points in this game. They're going to move the ball. This, this offense is so, so good. So I know you kind of poo-pooed Georgia's offense a smidge a second ago compared to Oklahoma's offense, so I kind of hesitate to ask this next one. But I, I think it's probably a good thing for Alabama's defense that it just faced an offense like Georgia's a month ago before playing Oklahoma, and it struggled against Georgia, and now they'll have that on tape and like, okay, we messed up there. here. Let's make sure that doesn't happen against Oklahoma. Uh, is that a fair assessment or do you think that Oklahoma's offense is so much different than Georgia's that it's not that big of a deal? I'd say it could be, but then I would say, yeah, schematically it's so much different. It just is. But yeah, I mean, it, from yeah. like a psychological standpoint, I, I guess maybe you're right. Hey, let's like, let's not, we, we don't really need to twist ourselves into pretzels too much about this game. Oh, use they're two touchdown underdogs. So, I mean, this is, this is what it is. Like, I, yeah, they are. O, OU is going to have to play warranted. really well to win this game. And let's be honest, Alabama is going to have to play a bad game. Okay, now you're just jumping to like, hey, make your picks here. We're not. No, let's, but let's that's not, it's true. But it's okay. Like, I, I, I still want to stop the podcast now. Hey, no, you know no, what? I still want to identify stuff. I, I, I identified <laughs> that I think if, if I had to guess, gun to my head, I think I think Lincoln Riley is going to really go after Mac Wilson and maybe all and and their linebackers. I really think that's what they're going to do. Um, so I, I really think there's an opening there and yeah, we're going to go on like we're, we're watching, I'm watching tape. There's this, is, it's not completely hopeless. OU has players. They practice too. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a hell of a feat. Uh, they're going to have to play incredibly well, but you know, let's, 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 I'm not intimidated or anything, but let's just be honest about it. Alabama has a collection of just an incredible collection of NFL players on their team. And mm-hmm. That's just how it is. Oklahoma yeah, is going to have to just, Oklahoma is going to have to outscheme them and outplay them, and the chances of that happening are really not great. But you never know. We'll see. This OU team, for whatever reason, has had some, especially in the second half of the year, has had some just weird, really weird voodoo magic about them. So yeah, they have, and and the the glass half empty guy in me says, well, yeah, I'm agree that the voodoo magic stuff, and I guess sooner magic, if you will, go for it. I mean, that's a thing. But it's going against, ultimately, teams that aren't anywhere near the caliber as Alabama. Therefore, there's only so much of this magic that goes around. Is it good enough to match up against a, a team where you're going to need to get more more stops on defense than, than it's probably expected against Alabama's offense? Which, let's transition now into that matchup, the OU defense and the Alabama offense. So basically, Alabama's strength which, weirdly enough, Alabama's strength technically this year is the offense, and the defense is also obviously pretty elite. But now this is Alabama's strength against Oklahoma's apparent, obvious weakness. So here we go, Grant. So far through watching tape, do you see anything from Alabama's offense that makes you think Oklahoma's defense can have any kind of success whatsoever in this game? Well, (laughs) when Alabama— Should I start? Okay, well, no, when Alabama has struggled on offense this year, when they've been bogged down, it is because opposing defenses have gotten pressure on Tua. Um, and that was a, that was a pretty apparent to me, especially against Mississippi State. 
Mississippi State, Lee, it seemed like was able to get pressure with four pretty consistently in that game. I felt bad actually. for Mississippi State's defense because the defense for Mississippi State played okay. It's just the offense is so punchless. They had no chance to get back in that game. Sorry, yeah. go I cut. Go on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if if by some act of God they could get pressure on Tua, maybe they could get some some stops. And also, um, you know, I, I think we're banking on. You know, if, I think they're probably going to come out in their little hybrid four three, and they're just really going to try to stop the run. I think I think they they could stop the run. I, I don't you know, I I'm, I'm sure Alabama is probably gonna is probably gonna rip off quite a bit of chunk plays, but when Gallimore has been in there, they've they've really been okay stopping the run. If they can get Alabama behind the chains every now and then, you never know. Maybe they can get pressure on two on third down. But really, I mean, I it's. It's been it's been kind of long. It's been a long time since we've seen this OU. Uh, what is it? It's been over a month now since we've seen the OU defense have just like a truly terrible performance that they've had like all season. You know, like they did against West Virginia. And so like it's every now and then I kind of start I kind of start catching myself like talking myself into ah, I think they can get some stops. But then I remember <laughs> then I remember you know what happened you know, throughout the rest of November and then it's just like ah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I mean. Really, realistically, Alabama's you know probably going to be able to roll out of bed and, and score you know forty five points in this game. Yeah, I'd like to come on here and give you all some sort of secret that I found to stopping the Alabama offense by watching all this tape so far. I just don't see it from an X's and O's perspective, and you know I know Grant, you've made this point on the podcast briefly, and you've already made it on this podcast today. And I'll steal it again right now. Uh, I I think you just got to hope that Tua is off. And you also hope that Oklahoma's run defense is decent. And, you know, I will say, as far as Tua is concerned, there are some throws that sail or are off a bit, even yeah. when he's not under pressure. Yeah, he, yeah the but, more that I've watched him closely, he absolutely shows kind of more like more foibles in his game than Kyler Murray does, for sure, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I, th- the thing is though, I mean, his completion percentage is still near seventy <laughs> percent. Yeah, I know. So he's, it's it's not like it's not like this dude's scatter shot most of the time, and he's like, we're just looking for looking any, like Alex just, Delton out there. We're just looking for <laughs> any bit of inch here, Lee. Just anything. I, I know. Uh, you know, for for as many throws that he misses, he'll just come back and drop an absolute dime. I know. On a corner I, route over top of a DB and into the breadbasket of Irv Smith. I know. And and the funny <laughs> thing is, it feels like those throws happen. Like almost immediately after he misses a throw, too, and it's uh, like oh, I'm just gonna go ahead and just and just drop this and into you know in, in between three defenders over top this zone real quick. No big deal. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's gonna it, be. Let's. You're right. There, we are hoping right now for kind of just unforeseen circumstances in this game. Two is off. Maybe he's not as healthy. Maybe for some reason they can get some pressure going his way, and his his ankle gets a little gimpy, and he can't move very well. Or maybe, I mean, are we just hoping and praying, Lee? What if OU just plays out of their freaking minds? <laughs> that would be just the most ridiculous thing ever. But, I mean, yeah. that's 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 a hope. That's a hope, and it's a fool's hope. It's probably not going to happen. Nothing um, that o- we've seen suggests that that's going to happen. Yeah, OU is who they are. Um, and, you know, we'll see. I, I, I'm sure they have some interesting stuff planned for this game. Um, maybe they have some interesting blitzes, or they're going to be able some... to even utilize it. Though that's the question. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Um, hey, I, I I think Oklahoma is going to be prepared to play this game. Will it matter? I don't know. We'll find out. So here's what I keep coming back to this past week, 
At this time a year ago, after watching a lot of Georgia tape, I had a really good feel for what the Bulldogs wanted to do on offense. They ran the ball with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. They ran it to set the pass. They they run the ball to set the pass with with Jake Fromm. And Fromm was a one-read guy, and he'd lock onto his wide receivers constantly. And also, Fromm had the propensity for being a bit inaccurate with his ball placement, which it seems like he's cleaned that up a bit this year. I, I mean, again, just watching the SEC title game when I did, not super close. He just he looked like he's improved so much, and he's a really good player. So it seemed a year ago like if Oklahoma had watched enough tape on Georgia, the Sooners' defense should have been able to spy a lot of tendencies, which should have allowed them to feel pretty confident about what they were going to see from Georgia in that Rose Bowl. Now, you fast forward to right now. Grant, I have no clue what Alabama is going to do from series to series. Mike Loxley is calling some great games from what I've seen, and Bama uses a decent amount of misdirection. For example, they'll motion a player to one side of the formation, then they'll call a play that attacks the backside, but then they'll give you that same look and then do the exact opposite thing and attack the front side. They'll use the power run game because they have three really good running backs, both Harris's and that Jacobs kid. And I hate to say this, but all three of those guys are probably better than Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. Sermon's a physical runner. I agree. But so are the Harris guys, and they're both faster than Sermon. Brooks, of course, he's good, but it's going to be hard for Brooks for him to break tackles in this game like he has in the past, it seems like, because all of Bama's defensive players are great tacklers. So the last thing on Bama, they use a lot of RPO concepts that'll definitely put Oklahoma's defense in a bind. And again, the narrative all month has been that Alabama's going to score at will in this game. And guys, I I just don't know how I can argue with that assessment at this point. I just I can't argue with it. Oh, I did. I, I wish I, did I could. See something. But, yeah. I did see something that kind of popped in my mind. Um, I really hope they're practicing uh, the defensive line. I hope they're practicing getting their paws up. Uh, because with those RPOs, that's a that's that's a good way sometimes to yeah. defend them. It's just to bat it down. And Amani Bledsoe has had, you know, Amani Bledsoe's pretty good at that. So keep an that eye out for that. The West Virginia game, I think, or in West yeah. Virginia, he batted some balls down against Baylor. The, he batted some balls down throughout the season as well, throughout yeah. the year. Kansas, I remember he batted the ball down. Yeah. So you know, let's see. And then also, let's just I don't know, hope and pray that Bama, you know, fumbles like five times and loses all of them. Fumble and up, and pray baby. that Bama's defensive line, they don't have arms and they can't bat Kyler Murray's balls down. Uh, he tries to throw it in the middle of the field, hopefully. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be putting their hands up too. Because those defensive linemen are smart, man. If they know they can't get there, they they stop and look and they put their arms up trying to bat stuff down, which is super frustrating. Last uh, thing on the OU defense versus Alabama offense. This is a, a theory I've heard. And let's see, I hesitate. I heard this from a, a trusted source yesterday. I, I don't know if I should. No. I'll, maybe you've heard this too. I've, I've heard people like maybe even Paul Feinbaum. And the thought is like, what if Alabama comes out and Bama's game plan is to implement the Army strategy, which essentially would be just to try to keep the ball away from Kyler Murray and Oklahoma's offense please, in this game? please. And any time Tua Tagovailoa hands the ball off, you're doing exactly what Oklahoma wants you to do. Please do that. So, <laughs> I really hope that's their game plan. I you don't really think Alabama, hope though, would just plan. be able to gash Oklahoma's... If oh, Alabama really wants to run the ball a lot, you don't think Bama would just be able to gash OU? Do you think, I, like, you think so? You think on every single play, if OU comes out in their 
No, yeah. I don't think so. Oh, I think, the thing this is, is though, not, yeah. The the thing is though, I, I I guess the point of me bringing this up though is anybody that's thinking that's a possibility, I think is it's it's not a possibility, and here's why. Let's say Oklahoma or let's say Alabama wants to do that. Alabama's a lot more explosive than Army, and even if they want to run the ball a lot, Alabama's probably going to bust off some explosive plays and not have eight seven eight minute drives like army did yeah you're and right just like that they're going to give the ball back, ball back to oklahoma after they score a 40 yard touchdown but also run. so we also remember though really outside of the west virginia game this year that was really the first time we've we've seen just like a ton of deep passes just like on straight busts that's really the only time we've seen that this year other times it's really <laughs> it's just them just getting beat <laughs> but <laughs> you just need to laugh about it so so i don't know what i was trying to say there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know when they throw screen passes to Texas players, yeah. they just break tackles and they, you know what, get by or they just throw through zone coverage. That you know what, I will say exist. this. I, I am going to say this, and this might be a crazy thing to say, and this is more of just like a random thought. L.J. Humphrey scares me more than anybody on Alabama's offense. Hmm. And and like uh, that, and and I say that just because that I think a, LJ, that is a crazy thought. I, I I say that only because I think L.J. Humphrey is a freaking monster. And that's that's kind of a crazy thought. Nah, I don't know if it, he just. I, I mean, it's just an opinion of mine. That doesn't. That doesn't. That's fine. The, the implication of that is not that Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle and and Rugs and Devonte Smith don't scare me because they most assuredly do. But I was just saying, like on levels of of being terrified, L.J. Humphrey is kind of just owns my soul. <laughs> Speaking of those receivers, I've noticed over the course of the season. Been watching all this tape that Devonte Smith, his role seems to have decreased over time. And I saw, I think he got banged up in one of, the, I think maybe the Missouri game. It was the Missouri game, yeah. And he actually had a really good game. But ever since that game, he hasn't done as much. His numbers haven't been as big. And I think that's kind of been the transition for Waddle. I think Waddle's kind of come on of late. And Judy, I mean Judy's great. I, I think I made the comment a podcast or two ago that maybe he wouldn't wasn't the best receiver on his team and that was a a dumb comment in hindsight so i apologize for judy's that really good he's he's definitely their best player and he's i can see why he won the bullet uh, their best receiver and yeah. i can see why he won the Blitnikoff. so i that was a dumb passing comment i made yeah, a couple I, podcasts ago i really like jerry judy he's a good player he, he kind of uh, reminds me uh lee this is kind of he reminds me of dd westbrook sure, like kind of uh, in the ways in the way that he moves um, he runs a good routes. He's a good route runner. I mean, all of them are. I mean, all those receivers are good route runners. And you know, you know what, Grant? You know who you, you said that L.J. Humphrey is more frightening. You know who's pretty much just like L.J. Humphrey on Alabama? Irv Smith. Irv Smith. Yeah, he's, he's the good. same. He's like the, the same dude. I mean, he he's mm, probably just take, as fast or faster than Humphrey. I would take L.J. Humphrey one hundred out of one hundred times over Irv Smith. But and that's not a that's not a rip on Irv Smith. That dude is a as a beast he's just another yeah, he's another really one of those good. big he's alabama really tight ends who's a freak athlete and is massive i mean like oj howard and for some reason oj howard's the only one i can think of right now but i know they've had more all right so that's our thoughts on on bama i know you're right for right now uh, and and again we'll watch that georgia game and you know what maybe we'll have some different thoughts maybe that'll be the again that's the tease to the next podcast now let's move over to National Signing Day. And for the third straight season, Oklahoma gets a top 10 recruiting class. And this is something that I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on aside from surface level. Hey, it's great that Oklahoma had yet again another top 10 class. And 
More specifically, I think that Rivals had it as the fifth-ranked class, which is better than the last two seasons. So that's great, and it's nice to see Oklahoma get a lot of five-star players, you know, just as many as, what, Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, I believe. They just got in, but they're all on offense. It'd be great if Oklahoma could get some five-stars on defense. I'll open the floor to you, Grant, because I know you have a lot more thoughts on signing day than I do, so fire away. I mean, they're general thoughts. I mean, obviously, OU had a really good day. Um, pretty much everything went their way. I, I think the, the the big the big signing of the day was the uh, was the safety out of California, Jeremiah Criddell. I think he was a previous uh, or Criddle. I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. Uh, Criddell or Criddell? It, it's Criddell. Okay, that's um, what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. He, he I think I think he may have been a previous Oregon commit, and then he decommitted, and or or he was an Oregon lean for forever, and. And uh, OU was able to swoop in at the last second and get him. That's obviously a big deal, um, considering you know where they are right now on their roster at safety. So it's a big deal. You know, I think everyone is sort of plugged into recruiting a lot more these days. I think I think Lincoln Riley is has has made it that way just because they they do such a good job on social media and whatnot. So I think everybody is 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 pretty aware of of who they got yesterday. Um, just real quick, um, I think last year we. We did a little thing where there's, you know, some guys that you like in the class, guys that you're maybe not really that sold on. I'm assuming you probably have no thoughts on that. Um, you know, zero. Yeah, I'll say <laughs> zero. I'll say mine. And you guys heard my disclaimer during the opening take. I, I'm, I'm not a high school player evaluator. I, I just don't know how to do it. There's so many different levels of competition. So I look at athletes and I look, you know, can you make plays? And so I, I like, you know, I, I did watch some of the tape and. Uh, so the guy Lee that, you know, of course, and, you know, I like Theo Weiss and I like uh, Trajan Bridges and Spencer Rattler. Those guys have amazing tape. Those are going to be great players at OU. Uh, Lee, the guy I really liked who's under the radar is a guy that actually just committed to OU a few days ago, and that's the Juco running back Ramondre Stevenson. Go watch some of his tape. That guy's freaking good. He is huge and he is fast. I really think he is going to be he, he is he is going to be a guy. Can who, he play on Saturday on the yeah. 29th? Is he available? Oh, gee, I wish. Well, I don't know. I mean, that quick of a turnaround. No. But to me, Leon tape, he looks like a faster <laughs> Trey Sermon. Um, so That's a good, that sounds good. Yeah. And, and so I he's a guy under the radar who I really liked uh, looking at their tape. A guy that that I'm, I'm a little confused about. Um, not really sure where he fits in this class is unfortunately their only linebacker commit. That's Jonathan Perkins. He's also from California. Um, he's a guy I watch his tape and he just, I, he just didn't even really stand out to me. And so, um, you know, they say he's around the ball a lot and he's got a nose for the ball and whatnot. Um, well, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, if, you know, uh, I, I will, I will say that last year when I did this, the guy that I, I didn't really get why he was a part of the class was Deshaun White. Cause uh, I thought the exact same thing about him. He just didn't really stand out on tape that much. Um, and so, and ironically enough, when Deshaun White was out there this year, I thought he looked pretty dang good. So um, take that with a grain <laughs> of salt. Take it for what you will. Um, like I said, I'm not a high school evaluator. But obviously, we're, we're all really excited uh, about the haul that they brought in. And they're not done yet. Uh, they got some other high-profile guys that they're likely to sign. Um, you know, I have, I have one guy, you know, in the back of my head specifically that I'm sure a lot of you guys can read through the lines and get it. It's kind of an open secret on social media now. Uh, but OU is not is very likely not done with five star wide receivers. So um, you guys can look into that yourself, and you'll be able to find it pretty easily. Um, Where is OU Grant on five star defensive tackles and corners? Because that's what I'm really interested in. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, it's 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 the 
the bottom line is, Lee, is, you know, we like to say a lot, you know, why wouldn't you want to come to the Big 12 to, to face, you know, these offenses and really just, you know, drop back and defend the pass 45 to 50 times a game? Why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, and the easy answer is, Lee, is that those schools like LSU and Bama and the SEC schools, they have a really long track record of putting guys in the NFL. Yep. And hundred uh, percent. And th- there's just it's such a safe decision for them. They know that if they go there, man, I'm going to have a really good chance of playing in the NFL. And so I, I that has to be it. Oh, yeah. I, I you're right. That, that's got to be it. I mean, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sorry. And like yeah. I'm watching OU's defensive backs and they're just, they're not being taught correctly. And I, I just I can't blame a defensive back not wanting to come to Oklahoma after watching their secondary. They've, there's been this, Man. The, 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 the recruiting in the secondary league has not been bad. They have like a 90% blue chip rating in the secondary. Everyone is a four-star recruit in the secondary. What was, what was the narrative? What were we talking about going into this season? The yeah. secondary had the most four stars of, all, of any position and group. A couple, and a couple five stars with Buki and Robert Barnes. I mean, this is... By, by recruiting, the secondary is by far the most talented and, and blue chippy of the rooms at Oklahoma. By far. Um, and hmm. you know it's they're getting blue chip guys in there and they're getting burned every Saturday so I, I can see why they don't want to come here they're they're gonna have to flip the narrative around I think Oklahoma can get their five-star corners and five-star safeties but they're gonna have to put some success on tape they have to put some guys in the league and that's just something they haven't been able to do lately all right Trey Norwood you're up man you got to get drafted and Buki after him yeah, I'm, I'm being a jerk, but it's just – speaking of corners real quick, I don't know if you have much more on signing day, but, I mean, the corners for Alabama are just – they're night and day compared to Oklahoma's defensive backs in general. I mean, just size, ability, tackling, coverage. I mean, it's it, it's clear that just, Nick Saban I'm, gets obviously great players, but he also can teach them up and coach them up. I don't know. I, I, find, it, I find it disconcerting and kind of – it kind of pisses me off a little bit that I guess – Alabama has the direct pipeline to like six two, six three, super long athletic corners. I mean, they're all their corners look exactly the same. Yeah. They're all huge, and, physical, and long. Uh, it's that's like why I think one of the one of the guys I saw that Oklahoma got is like a six two player, but I think he's a Jamal, safety. Jamal Morris, yeah. And it's like uh, man, why can't you be a corner? <laughs> hey, I, mean, I, I, I did notice Lee, they did not sign in the recruiting class. One guy under six feet tall. Really, I thought I saw a guy that was like five eleven or five ten. Was there not? Mm, depending, I saw. I was looking at like the they they gave out like a little like kind of a roster sheet at media day or whatever yesterday, and it was going around on Twitter. And I looked at that, and I don't recall seeing anybody under hmm. six yeah, feet I mean, tall. I have it. I should have brought it with me to the podcast record. I don't have it. I got it over. Actually, at my desk. no, you're right. Jaden Davis is five eleven. He's a corner. Okay. Yeah, I just looked. So, I mean, I think a natural transition from signing day, Grant, is the, the random news that's come out in the last week or so about Justin Fields from Georgia, the quarterback who uh, is a, was a five-star guy, and apparently sources are saying, according to ESPN, Mark Schleybaugh, the most recent article I've seen, that Justin Fields is looking at his options and is apparently, I think, the, the most recent school that he's mulling over is Ohio State, but... I've seen what Oklahoma and maybe Florida State was included in a couple of reports or one report a day or two ago. I know you wanted to maybe talk about some some Justin Fields, but now you got. I don't know. I mean, uh, 
you got I Spencer Rattler coming into this class. Okay, yeah, sorry. Everything would be speculation at this point. Um, yeah. But, you know, he obviously has been named. I don't think, and, and, and multiple people have reported this now, so I, I got to think that OU is on his short list. And you know what? Why on earth wouldn't it be? He, right. he would be he, he would have to ahead, be a, yeah. he'd have to be an idiot not to consider it. And so, like, I guess let's go through the hypothetical. So Oklahoma, obviously, they got Spencer Rattler coming in class of 2019. Also, already in house is Austin Kendall and Tanner Mordecai. And I mean, Kendall's been waiting and waiting and waiting. And everyone knows in this podcast how much I like Austin Kendall. So I mean, Kendall's my guy. So I guess if you're a guy like Justin Fields, you think, all right. So Kendall's got I think what two more years of eligibility left going after this season. And then obviously you got Mordecai who could potentially be redshirted. He hasn't played that much this year. He's only played so he, two games. Okay, so they could probably redshirt him if they want. They probably will. Why not? Yeah, they will for sure. Yeah, and then so then you got the redshirt. So you got Mordecai who again he's he's a he was a four star player. Yeah, and, the, and then Rattler who will the word is he's he's tearing it up on the scout team is the is the rumor. Okay, like as like like tearing it up like and like. Like Baker Mayfield was tearing it up is what I'm hearing. All right, so maybe Mordecai is a player that could potentially compete for that job. And you know Spencer Rattler's going to come in as a true freshman. I'm not sure if he's going to get in early for spring ball he's not. or not. He's a he's a summer guy. So I, I because of that, you can pretty much Spencer Rattler is not going to start next season as the as the starting quarterback. All right, so that means going in and. This is totally just out ahead. We're at the end of the podcast. We've gone through all our, our current talk. Let's just talk about something just for fun. You're going into next season. Austin Kendall is going to be the guy that's going to be thought of as the winning the starting job. That's who I'm going to predict because, because he was in the battle with Kyler, obviously. Then you got Mordecai there who has some experience. will be going into his red probably red shirt freshman season. And then, okay, let's say in the next month or two or whatever, whenever he can, and it comes out, let's say Fields is going to transfer and he wants to come to Oklahoma. So that means he'd either have to sit out a year or there's been rumblings about how he might be able to apply for some sort of thing to where he might be immediately eligible, kind of like how what's-his-name at Michigan was immediately eligible somehow. Um, the Shea Patterson, he didn't have to sit out a year. So I guess we have to do two things like, okay, if Fields decided to transfer and he had to sit out a year, would he be confident knowing that, okay, I got to sit a year, I might have to beat out, or here we go, I might have to wait another season of Austin Kendall who won the job and looked really good and it will actually win the job yet again. So therefore I got to wait for Austin Kendall to be done and then potentially have to beat out Spencer Rattler or Tanner Mordecai. So, like, he's already bet on himself once, Grant. He thought he'd probably be able to beat out Jake Fromm, and he didn't. That was I thought that, that Yeah, it's like Jake Fromm, yeah, I, I could see it, but he was going to get better, and he's a big NFL. He looks like he's going to be in the NFL. He's going to play in the NFL. He's a big he dude. Was, he's got a good arm. He was criminally underrated pretty mobile. last year. He, he yeah. was very good last year. He's gotten a lot better this year. Or let's say somehow he's able to get a waiver, and he's uh, immediately eligible. And so you throw Fields in if he transfers to OU this upcoming 2019. So he's competing with Austin Kendall and Tanner Mordecai and probably not Rattler because, like you said, he'll get there late. But maybe he'll get there at the same time that Fields does. I mean, that's a big quarterback room with a lot of talent. I 
I don't even know how, like, where to wrap my head around this or how to where to go from here. It's just it's all a hypothetical, obviously, at this point. Or does Justin Fields look like all right, Ohio State? Because at this point, it looks like Dwayne Haskins. I think he'd be kind of a fool not to go to the NFL because it's a pretty bad quarterback class, and he might be the first quarterback taken, if not the first overall pick, depending on who's taken it. There. I like Dwayne Haskins. I think he yeah, can no, be. He, I think he can be really good in the NFL. He would be the best quarterback in this class for sure if he decided to come out. The other guy, I'm not even sure if uh, Herbert's going to come out from Oregon. So you go to Ohio State. I'm not sure who's there at Ohio State besides Tate Martell, who is a five nine, five ten kind of guy, kind of like trying to be Kyler Murray. He's a mobile guy. He was a pretty big time five star recruit. Does Justin Fields want to go in there and compete with Tate Martell, who's obviously never won a starting job before? If I'm Justin Fields, I mean, maybe that's a better spot to get playing time sooner. Whew. Yeah, I think I think it depends completely on what he values, right? Because you're right. Ohio State, I think, is, is probably the obvious choice if he's most concerned about stepping in right away and playing right away. Um, having that been said, I think Oklahoma is probably the right choice to prepare you for the NFL, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, but also at the same yeah. time, you're walking into a quarterback room, like you said, competing with a guy who's going to be in his fourth year in the program. And he was a guy who was a top 100 recruit four-star guy himself. Uh, you got a, uh, you got a five-star. Dude, num- yep. The hungriest dude on the roster going into next year after yep. all that Austin Kendall's gone through the last few years. Yep. yep. And you got you got Spencer Rattler, who is a five-star number one quarterback in the country right now. And you have Tanner Mordecai, who is a four-star guy and who is – by, you know, the rumors are that he is looking very, very good. So, I don't know. I, I, th- I think we do have to come out here and say this because I don't think we've mentioned this yet, Lee. Justin Fields is, is kind of is viewed as like a transcendent college football recruit. Like he was, he was considered one of the best recruits ever last year in the cycle. So this the is number this is, one quarterback in 2018. So is he kind of like the, the equivalent of Spencer Rattler in 2019? No, he's like the equivalent of like, of like Vince Young. In 2002. Hmm. This is like, yeah, this is a guy who is like, this is one of the most sought after recruits in the history of college football. Hmm. This is, this is a guy who is, wasn't that the same for like Trevor Lawrence? I thought him and yeah, yeah, him and yeah, him and it was always battle between fields and Trevor Lawrence. And they're like both transcendent talents or whatever. Hmm. So, um, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Like, and that's what, and I think a lot of that came from their performances at the elite 11, you know, like the NFL guys who run that, like Dilfer, they basically both came out and said they're, they're like the two best players that have ever come through this camp or something like that. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. I, I'm, I, I'm intrigued. I, I sort of take the position that there is no such thing as too much talent in one room. Um, and I, I sure the human side of me, um, the human side of me sure would feel bad for Austin Kendall, but Lee, I'm telling you right now, if Justin Fields comes to Oklahoma, Justin Fields is going to be the starting quarterback on September 1st when they play Houston. If he's able to play, if, if he gets yeah, the waiver. Yeah, but I, I, I think a lot of people have speculated that the fact that he's even transferring is maybe evidence that they feel pretty darn good about his chances of getting a waiver. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, granted, it's not fair to really think about this year but the the times i've watched him play this season when he's come in he needs some work georgia has 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 had absolutely no plan for him whatsoever i think it's pretty obvious that i think they just kind of threw him in there to throw him a bone and be like hey we still have like a role for you but 
yeah, and there's no doubt that obviously under the tutelage of Lincoln Riley and being in this offense, he would he would learn a lot more and he would develop a lot more, just like Kyler Murray has. I mean, Kyler Murray, you go back and you watch him his freshman year at Texas A&M, and and he doesn't look anywhere near the same kind of player. The only thing that looks the same is his size. And granted, he's a lot bigger now. I mean, because he's able to be in college for all those years, and he's filled out, hit the weight room, and he's everyone's seen the Bo Jackson picture. He's he's not skinny. He's a he's a full a, a full human being. Uh, but yeah, it's just amazing what this program has done for Kyler Murray. So I mean, what's to Any say? Any truth to the, the rumor Lee, that you have else? that you have plastered that poster up on your bedroom wall? I thought you were going to say any truth to the rumor that I have a crush on Kyler Murray, but that uh, why would I uh, no? Um, I don't put any posters on my wall. The only thing I put on my wall is a mirror to look at myself there's, to remind myself that there's a joke there somewhere. You demand, <laughs> you demand, and no one can take that away from you. Uh, um, whatever, man. Let's see where was I going with this? Uh, nowhere really. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's all speculation. It's it's kind of a. It's a fun thing to talk about. You're right. But Lee, you're you're kind of right with this that like all the talk of all of these just massive offensive recruits. Yeah, a part of me part of my brain is like, man, I wish a five-star defensive tackle would transfer to OU. <laughs> I wish a five-star transcendent, you know, five safety would transfer to OU. And you know what? Now that I think about it, and yeah, I mean, that's the joke. It's like I'm being a jerk because cool three five stars is, is incre- incredible every school in the country would would want all these five stars but it's like lincoln riley can turn a three star or a walk-on into a a great role player that that gives you great snaps look at lee morris uh look at miles tease I, I, granted he hasn't done that with a quarterback yet oh like the big sorry hey, baker mayfield my bad hey, <laughs> walk on <laughs> there's more there's more blue chippers right now on the defense than there are on the offense let that sink in for a second. Yeah, it's and so it's like even if Oklahoma would at this point right now, even if they get these five star players, that doesn't really mean anything because they haven't done anything with these four star players. Sorry to all the guys out there. It's just there whenever there's other Big Twelve defenses that are also bad, but are are better right now than Oklahoma's, that's a problem. Because Oklahoma's got the best recruiting class in the Big Twelve the last couple of years. Have they been better than Texas? Has yeah. Texas out recruited yes, them? Yes, they have. Okay. So yeah. So there you go. Um, before we get going here, Grant, we you know we've been going kind of long in podcasts. We got, let's say we got another maybe five or ten minutes if if we need it. Any bowl games upcoming that you love that you're just like I I love that. Go with that team. We've kind of gone away from our pick segment because I mean we haven't had any games since the title games. Uh, I know we're you and I are both kind of around five hundred picking against the spread. Any games, any bowl games out there that you're looking at in the next week or so that, or maybe even more down the line that you absolutely love right now? Or am yeah. I just throwing you a bo- like? Am I just th- totally throwing you through a loop here that you're not? Yeah, you're totally, for? you're completely throwing me under the bus. Um, I will say this: the the bowl games thus far have been have been terrible, awful. They've just been awful. really awful. Um, and so I, hey, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to be one of these guys who's going to come out and say like, oh, get rid of the bulls. There's too many. It to me, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I I don't really care. Like I mean, if the fact that the New Mexico Bowl, Utah State, North Texas, the fact that that game exists, it, it means nothing to me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it exists or if it doesn't exist. I, they can keep playing that bowl game forever <laughs> if if if, yeah. if I care. I don't go for care. it. But here's the deal. I, I mean, it's just can we at least try to make some of this stuff better? I mean, like, 
the fans don't care about the bowl games. Nobody goes and watches them. Did anybody, I mean, was it the, the Gasparilla Bowl last night? There was maybe 50 people there. That's it. So nobody goes to the games, so nobody cares. You got a bunch of guys who are sitting out the games, so they don't care. The players don't care. Uh, nobody's watching Hold it on, on TV. So are, are you are you uh, are you mentioning the the Marshall South Florida game? Are you, you you like the fact that we record this on Thursday and you're saying last night is that the game you're talking about? Oh no, it's not. I was uh, sorry about because that, that game is happening because as we record this podcast, the Gasparilla Bowl is going on. Okay, Thursday sorry. Night. Yeah, I was actually referring to the the DLX Frisco Bowl. Okay, in Frisco, Texas, where where DXL. Yeah, the DXL where uh, San Diego State got shut out by Ohio. Yeah. And San Diego State's offense was just atrocious. Atrocious. Uh, like, anywho, and you could, and, and can you tell that I was on San Diego State plus the three? Can you tell? Oh, I was actually, yeah, I was Gosh. on Ohio in that one. That one. Well, that good was, on you. Uh, yeah. So let's. I mean, see here. The only the only game so far in bowl season that's been decided by that hasn't been decided by double digits is Georgia Southern and Eastern Michigan. <laughs> and man, that bowl was downright unwatchable. That was bad <sighs> football. So hey, I'm. I, I, I honestly don't want these bowl games to go anywhere. Like, keep them. It doesn't really matter. But it, it's obvious that they have these... It, it, it's obvious it's a TV product. So at least try to leverage good matchups. I, I think, like, can we get some... Can ESPN just choose these matchups? Can we at least get interesting yeah, matchups? Yeah, can, can we get rid of the... And I'm sure there's way more to this, but obviously the matchups are limited because every bowl has conference tie-ins. And obviously, these early bowls get all like kind of the group of five teams and things like that. So like you're gonna get that, but yeah, in the later bowls, I think maybe is what you're arguing. It's like, can we get better matchups? Yeah, I mean, you go through, and I the worst thing ever is when we get matchups where it's like a great offensive team versus another great offensive team with bad defense, and it's like, okay, great. Or you get two defensive minded teams and again that have offenses that are terrible, like. Uh, they're Florida versus Michigan. I, I just didn't we see this bowl game like a year or two ago? We've already seen this recently. Who I I don't care about that game. And then uh, there was one other one that I just was just like flummoxed by. I'm just so annoyed that it's a oh and Miami and Wisconsin again for the second year in a row. Like why are we doing that again? Yeah, and that's I mean that's what happens when the bowl games can actually choose because they're. They they want to choose who is going to show up at the games, and so I would like I would like for us all to just to just acknowledge the fact that nobody goes to these games and that it is a TV product. So let's make it the best TV product possible. I don't think that's I don't think that's totally out of bounds. Yeah, but how do they like? How do you do that though? I, I mean, don't know. Yeah, and and I'm more talking about thing, like I, mean. I want I want group of five conference champions playing a power five team every single time. Uh, stuff like that, and I like your idea. I like your idea. Let's put really good offenses against really good defenses. Um, yeah, and, let's, and, yeah, yeah. Like let's I mean, let's got, see some interesting oh, matchups. Let's see matchups that we haven't seen in a long time. Like God, let's see Texas and Texas A and M playing a bowl game. Oh my gosh! Let's, yeah, I mean, come come that on, this thing. is so easy. Uh, if, the other one, the Cheese It Bowl, is Cal and TCU, two teams with just awful offenses this season. They cannot move the ball, and Cal's got a really good defense, and then you got Gary Patterson, also a defensive-minded guy. It's like, why are these teams playing? I, one game that's actually kind of interesting to me, Baylor and Vanderbilt. That's kind of interesting. You got Baylor with the Big 12 offense. That's Their offense is kind of frisky this year. I don't even know what Vanderbilt is this season. Uh, they pushed Notre Dame early in the season when Wimbush was still the quarterback. 
that might I'm kind of intrigued by that matchup. Okay. Like, I, like I'm looking at these matchups and, and you know, I'm I, I'm interested in the Big Twelve games just because these are teams that I'm familiar with sure. and and you know, I, I'm gonna watch the quick lane bowl, which is one the Gophers were playing in against Georgia Tech. That's an awful matchup, by the way. Um <laughs> I'm looking at the schedule, Lee. There is not an interesting bowl game, in my estimation, until Friday, December 28th. Purdue versus Auburn. Like, yeah. I, and that's not even at least at least that's a really good offense. Purdue going against a really good defense, Auburn, and Auburn a really bad offense going against Purdue a really bad defense. That's an interesting. Hmm. That's an interesting yeah. matchup. And we'll see if Purdue's offense is any good because the Big Ten I think has been pretty crappy this yeah. year. But Friday, hey, they lit yeah. up Ohio State. Yeah, Friday, December twenty eighth is is the first is the first day where you actually get some real bowl games because uh, after Purdue Auburn Lee is West Virginia Syracuse, but of course Will Greer and and Yadney. Yeah, I kind of hate Will Greer game. for that. I kind of hate Will Greer for not playing in this mm. game because West Virginia could just I think box Syracuse's ears in man if they wanted to. If yeah. Will Greer oh was yeah. Playing. Yeah. But now that he's out and like we've seen West Virginia without Will Greer the last couple of years and it's just a whole different team. Yep. And like, so. Um, yeah, and actually, so the the game after that one, Lee, I think is actually the best non New Year Six playoff bowl game, and that's Iowa State and Washington State. Yeah, that's that but is again, the, that is the best non New Year Six game. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a fun matchup because you got obviously both teams have good defenses, really good defenses, and Washington State's offense is really good, and Iowa State's offense is sneaky really good with Purdy in there. Mm-hmm. So. And you got throwing the fact that Mike Leach, I think, has been a, a not that great in bowl games. I I mean, I like Iowa State's chances in this one, certainly. Playing the Alamo Bowl. So, I mean... Uh, like, oh, man, go through some of these matchups. These are awful games. You're not, you're not pumped for the Belk Bowl between South Carolina and Virginia? No. That doesn't get the, you going? The freaking Gator Bowl, NC State and Texas A&M. Didn't they play last year in their bowl game, too? Uh, A&M and Wake Forest oh, played. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that too when I first saw that match. Like, did we see that last year? Uh, I'm kind of interested in the Missouri Oklahoma State game. Yeah, I'm interested in that. I, after watching, uh, I think Missouri might kind of beat up on them pretty pretty good. Even though I, I'm I'm intrigued to see Oklahoma State just pin their ears back and blitz the hell out of Drew. Yeah, Locke. yeah. And just see Missouri's, him kind of poop his uh, pants a little bit. Missouri's defense is, was not terrible. Oh yeah, obviously you saw in the Missouri Bama game when their best linebacker got ejected for targeting in the first quarter like first ridiculous. half remember that? that was ridiculous i remember because i i work with a, a guy that went to missouri and or i'm sorry he went yeah missouri Syrac- wow uh he's yeah he went to missouri or he's from saying i can't wow this is bad brian's gonna be mad at me when I, I can't remember where he went i know he went to syracuse for something and missouri he has time anyways he was so mad watching that game whenever that guy got ejected because missouri was actually within a field goal when that happened and he was like oh well, crap. Now, now their defense is going to be bad the rest of the game. And, yeah, it was. So, uh, see, I asked you if you, there's any bowl games you liked. We'll get out of here soon. I, I really like, kind of in the next week or so, I like Army over Houston. I like Army to win that game by more than a touchdown. My, uh, yeah, my, my opinions on Army are way too warped. I, I, I don't know if I can make really a call in that game. I'm going to have to flip a coin. Because apparently, and here's here's why. You know, obviously, you know what you're gonna get from Army running the ball, but you know Ed Oliver is not gonna play. Houston's defense isn't even that great. I think even with him, and Houston's got a backup quarterback going, and I'm pretty sure Houston's uh, their defense is not great against the run. 
they gave up a bunch of yards and stuff to Navy, I think, already this year. And Navy, obviously, does the same thing Army does, but uh, not nearly as good. So, um, yeah, they beat Navy 49-36. to And I think Army's defense is actually not that bad, especially when it's a backup quarterback. So I, I like Army in that game. So Houston That's like is, the one game I kind of like right Houston now. Houston is 100th in defensive S&P. Army, yeah, I couldn't care less about S&P. Army is 77th. So, so anyways, that's that's kind of the one game like right now, the next week that I I really do like, and I also really like this uh, game going on right now, Marshall and South Florida. I really like Marshall, and right now, as you're listening to this, it's halftime of that game, and Marshall's up by 18 points. So, hopefully, they don't collapse in the second half. All right, Grant, let's get out of here. Uh, we're gonna record another episode this Sunday. Is that cool with you, Grant? I haven't even ran that by you. Sure. Okay. So we'll do our normal Sunday record before NFL football begins, and uh, then we'll try to get one more episode out at our normal Thursday time before the game because the game's on a Saturday, which is nice. But I will say keep tabs on the Facebook page for any changes because with Christmas and everything that we might not be able to get two more. We might just be able to do one, so we'll have to figure that out. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.